This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Well, it is a, I want to say it's a joy to be here. Uh, It is, but uh, even more than that, it's a privilege uh, to be able to be a part of this. Some pastor uh, called and asked uh, if uh, I could possibly come. My, my mind was like, I, I got to be there. I got to be able to work it out somehow. And I talked to John Bott, and a good friend, uh, and, I, and I was like, I'm trying to work this out in my schedule. And he goes, and if you know John, he said, that's one you don't want to miss. <laughs> if you know John, that's exactly how he sounded. So I took that as, okay, I got I to gotta make everything I can, and I, I, which I wanted to do anyway. I'm so thankful uh, to be able to be a part of this uh, celebration. Um, 37 years is a long time. That's, uh, that's almost three generations, uh, depending on how you count, of young people. And I know being at camp, it seems like every other camper that comes up the, those weeks that they say, yeah, I'm from, I'm from uh, Pastor Taylor's youth group, I'm from Pastor Taylor's youth group, I'm from Pastor Taylor's youth group. I'm like, maybe I was in Pastor Taylor's youth group. I, I, don't, I don't know, but uh, uh, that influence has been seen all the way through uh, these number of years, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a joy uh, to see someone so uh, desiring to work with youth. I, that's my passion. Um, and uh, yeah, a pastor mentioned the fact that I've been there for 27 years, uh, and it's nowhere near what the Taylors are doing because we have them for a week and send them away. <laughs> and uh, he's been ministering for, for these 36 years. It's an encouragement uh, to, to my heart as uh, I, I love working with youth and seeing a man like this doing what he's doing for so long, so often. And I encourage uh, young men that come through camp uh, to serve for, with us, not use youth work as a stepping stone to, a, to another pastorate. Uh, and I was telling pastor last night, that's obviously uh, not what happened here, unless those are awful large stones, if it was a stepping stone. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's an encouragement to see he poured his life into the young people and he wasn't going anywhere. He loved them and he's still loving them. And that has been seen. Uh, obviously within this church, but I just want to say even from a, from, from a ministry that desires to serve you, uh, we've seen it as well. And uh, that's an encouragement to my heart is how much we care for teens, and we're seeing it here. Wish we could bottle that up and give it to universities, Christian universities, and pour it all over those youth ministers uh, because that's what we need. I'm so thankful for that. As I was trying to think through... Uh, uh, what I would speak on these a couple of opportunities I have. I'm trying to think, okay, what are some of the key components uh, that would go into uh, somebody, a, a couple that would be willing to do this for so long? And obviously, this is the Lord working in and through them. And I think we're all very aware of that. Pastor mentioned that a couple times already this morning. And uh, obviously, there's so many different things we can talk about, so many different th- ways and areas we could go. But uh, I just want to kind of take a couple of different avenues in each one of these services. And uh, what key components uh, go into this? And I think the, the one I want to mention and kind of talk about for these next few minutes this morning is the fact that you can't do something like this for this long and not know your God. And I want to do it from a standpoint of looking at a narrative, uh, the book of the just kind of walking through the scenario and seeing what these guys, these four men that we'll highlight this, this morning did uh, to, to really know God. We'll kind of talk about it. Uh, this will kind of be, I think, an interesting and fun, fun. I might interact a little bit. I like to do that 
um, and uh, as we walk through this narrative, and we're going to bring it down to one final focal point. What made the difference in these guys' lives? I think we see it in the life of this couple as well uh, that, that we're talking about, uh, that, we're, that we're honoring today. And let's, let's pray and ask God to help us uh, during this next few minutes. Father, again, as we open up your word, we know that we cannot open up your word uh, and, and understand it. We can't apply it. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit teaching it to us. So, Father, I pray that you would instruct our hearts, allow your Holy Spirit to be our guide, be our teacher today, Lord. I pray that nothing that I say would interfere. I pray that you would be seen very clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's an easy thing to do to when we look at the life of, of guys like Daniel. I don't know about you, but for a long time, I kind of relegated these guys to um, vacation Bible school or junior church filing cabinet, okay, the flannel graph guys, right? You remember what flannel graph was? I don't know if they still use it, uh, but, you know, they put it on the board and, you know, the one guy that's Peter the one day is Moses the next. And, uh, and so uh, I kind of relegated these guys that we're going to be talking about, just kind of highlighting their lives uh, for the next few minutes this morning, um, uh, to, the, to that uh, vacation uh, Bible school or junior church filing cabinets. Those are good stories uh, for, for, for kids, but these are wonderful truths for all of us as we grow to be more like Jesus. It's an easy thing to do to put these people on a pedestal as well and uh, kind of turn them into heroes. Um, and I do believe that God has given us people uh, to follow, to emulate. I do believe that. Um, Paul said it himself. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, the moment I deter from following Christ, you better deter from following me. I do believe God has given us people to emulate. I don't believe we should make them heroes um, but I do believe we can look at their lives and we can see the patterns that, uh, that were in their lives and things they did and then emulate those things within our lives. There is a hero in this book of Daniel. It's not Daniel, it's not Hananiah, it's not Mishael, and it's not Azariah, it's God. I think that's very clear as you walk through this narrative. It's very clear that God is the one that, has, that did the work in these young men's lives and even as they grew older. And I kind of really just going to walk through their lives and see some of the difficulties that they walked through and then kind of boil it down to a focal point here at the end to see really what transformed them, what made the difference in these guys' lives as we look. And I kind of want to apply it uh, towards the end even as what we're seeing here uh, in honoring uh, the tailors uh, today. So what made a difference? Let's start, let's start in Daniel chapter uh, 1. Okay? These guys uh, were, were minding their own business in their land. And all of a sudden, and they didn't have any warning about anything that was going to be happening. They didn't have emails. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have Fox News to warn them that the Babylonians were coming, that they were on their way. There was, no, there was nothing to warn them that this was happening necessarily. They might have had a little bit of, an, uh, of, a, of, a, of a warning, but not much at all. And Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon decides, hey, I want to overtake Judah. And that's what he does. And God allowed him to do this. So this is what we see. Let's pick up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the, year, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto uh, Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave unto Jehoiakim, king of Judah, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with parts of the vessel of the house of his God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of, the Israel, of Israel and the king's seed and the princes, children in whom was no blemish, well but well favored, skillful in wisdom and cunning in knowledge, 
and an understanding science and had such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and in whom they might teach the learning and the tongues of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah uh, of Shadrach, and to, and to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah of Bendigo. Now, I want to kind of stop here for a moment because I really kind of want to highlight these guys' lives and see what they are going through. If we understand anything about them, these boys were about 15 to 18 years old. They were in the youth group, okay? And so they were, they were about 15 to 18 years old and some pretty drastic things happened to these young men. They lost a lot in a matter of just weeks. Now, I want to throw it back out to you. I told you we were going to interact a little bit. I want to throw it back out to you. What are some of the things that as you think through just even what we just read, what are some of the things that these young men lost? Anything come to your mind? Okay, they lost their homes. And this was a little bit more than even you know, what, we're, what, what, we, you know, what they might experience today because chances are they're never going to see their homes again. Anything else? Family. They are probably never going to see their family again. Again, what else? Friends. They're never going to see their friends again. Some of them might have gone with them. And in the case of these four guys, at least these four were together. And I think that's, a, that's the grace of God for these guys. But, but they're never going to see their friends again. Anything else that comes to your mind? Freedoms. They had freedoms in their land. And they're going to a new land where probably not going to have nearly as many freedoms. What else? What's that? Okay, country, spiritual leaders, guiding them, some of the, even some of their families and so forth. Anything else? Culture is going to be completely changed. Completely changed. Anything else that comes to your mind? Their identities. These people are trying to completely, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to completely change who they are. I think that's a, that's a key point that we need to really understand. I mean, to the point where they changed their names. They were trying to dismantle everything that they knew and, 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 and build up everything they, they wanted the, the, that Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to know so they could be used in the, with the tongues in the, of the Chaldeans and they could be used in the land of Babylon in a very, in a very important way. But they, dis, they were dismantling their identities. They changed their names. And I think as we can see this, again, these guys were young. They were 15 to 18 years old. And I think as we see this, as we walk through and understand what's going on here, there was something that was stabilizing them. They lost a lot of things. They lost their families. I mean, they ripped them out of their homes, carried them 800 miles away, probably never going to see their families again. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't have emails. They didn't have anything like this. It would have been a very easy thing, in, in my estimation, for these young men to be bitter, to get angry. God, what are you doing? And we're worshiping you in our land. And we're obeying you. And then you come and you, and you allow us to be ripped off out of our, our, of our land and taken 800 miles away. What are you doing? It would have been a very easy thing for these young people, these young men to get bitter. But we don't see it. We don't see it. 
Maybe they struggled in their hearts. I don't know. Maybe that's why God allowed them to be together. I don't know this, but we don't see these young men becoming bitter. They lost everything seemingly. They lost their homes. They lost their culture. They lost their their friends. They lost their families. They they, they, They were trying to dismantle their identities. They lost a lot of things, but one thing they did not lose was their God. He was constantly there and constantly with him. And this is what we see. God's proving himself strong over and over and over and over again. And in this, God proving himself strong, he stabilizes people. If we have eyes and vision of seeing God clearly, we will be stabilized. And we will, be, we will have the opportunity and the ability to be able to do great things for God. And this is what we see right here, even as young people. Now, right here, uh, now we, we see very clearly that, that, they, that there was not bitterness setting into their heart. Where do we see this? Verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He basically, it would have been a very easy thing for these guys to say, wait a second, okay, God, you abandon us, so guess what? We're going to abandon you. They've offered us this meat. We know we shouldn't eat it, but we're going to do it anyway. They didn't do that. They remained faithful. And again, they remained faithful because of what they were seeing from their God. And we're going to see this over and over again, kind of coming down to a focal point. And what we're seeing, stabilizing these young people in their lives. So this is what was going on. And so Ashvinez, they go to Ashvinez and said, Daniel says, we can't eat this meat. And Ashvinez says, you have to eat this meat. If you don't eat this meat, uh, then it's my head on the chopping block if you get sick. And Daniel said, okay, try this. Just give it 10 days, just 10 days. And uh, give, us, give all, everybody else whatever you want. Give me and my three friends beans and water for 10 days. Then come back and take a look. And we know, what, we know the story there. We know they came back and, and Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were physically fit. And Ashvinez was like, okay, carry on. These guys were not trying to prove how much willpower they had to say no to some food. They were proving how powerful their God is. And God was proving himself strong. And he was stabilizing these young people. And that's the only way we can make it in this life is if we are stabilized. I think, uh, I think you're pretty, it's pretty clear that this is a pretty unstable world. Well, it is if you don't know God. And these young men, 15 to 18 years old, were completely changing their atmospheres, but they stayed true to their God God because God was proving himself strong over and over and over again. But he's not done. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. We know this one. Uh, It's the story of of the fiery furnace. Another one of those stories we might have kind of set aside at times, being like, okay, that's good for young people. I hope they really pay attention. We need to pay attention to what's going on here. Now, we need to set this up a little bit um, with chapter 2. Basically, what was going on in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And uh, he wakes up, and he's had this dream. He's like, man, I really want to know what that dream meant. I'm paraphrasing a lot, okay, for sake of time. And uh, and he's like, I need to find out what's going on here. So he calls all of the wise men, the ones that can really uh, explain what dreams meant. He calls them all in. And these guys were evidently good at it. And uh, so he calls them all in, and they were like, yeah, we can, we can go in and tell them what that dream meant. So he calls them all in, and Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I need you to tell me what this dream is, but I don't just want you to tell me what the dream meant. I want you to tell me what dream I had. 
And these, young, these, these wise men were like, uh, well, we can't do that. That's impossible. Nobody can do that. And, and basically Nebuchadnezzar said, well, then you're all going to die. So that's basically what was going on here. He said, if you don't tell me what the dream is and meant, then you're all going to die. And Daniel hears about this. He's one of these wise men. And he hears about this. And, of course, he didn't know what the dream was, but he knew who could tell him. Amen. And he went back, and, he, and I, I could see Daniel being a little bit fearful of his life. He walks back, and he tells Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, guys, you've got to pray. Listen, I'm, I'm going to die if, uh, if, if I don't, we don't understand, we don't figure this thing out. So he said, okay, you got to pray. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And that night in the dream, God revealed not just the meaning of the dream, but, but the dream to Daniel. Only God can do something like this. And Daniel wakes up in the morning and praises his God because of what God is doing. Again, this is Daniel, God working in Daniel's heart here, stabilizing him. And he goes in, and, he, and, and Daniel wakes up the next morning. He's got, he's, he understands what's going on, and he goes in, and he praises God, even to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, he says, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what your dream is, and this is what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar misses the whole point. And he, I, don't think Dan, I don't think God was working necessarily in Nebuchadnezzar's life right then. He does that a little bit later down the road. But uh, he goes in, and Daniel, and, and Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, that's great. He's like, okay. Then he gets the picture of this dream and basically the 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 dream was a, a vision of of a statue of made up of all these different components and different pieces and nebuchadnezzar got this idea completely missed the point he's like oh that statue looks a lot like me so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go out and i'm going to build that statue so that's what he did he went up about out about 250 miles out into the wilderness and he had this statue built that looked remarkably like him and uh, then he got this idea, I'm going to have all of the, the men come out. And we don't know where Daniel was at the time, uh, but I promise you he wasn't out there. He must have had responsibilities in the kingdom, but he wasn't out there because he wouldn't have bowed. So basically he, he has all these people go 250 miles out into the wilderness. And uh, we'll pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 5. It says, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sack, by the psaltery, and, and all kinds of music, the people and the nation and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said unto King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the sultry, and dulcimer, all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, I said that. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This ticked Nebuchadnezzar off. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And he didn't even give them a chance to respond here. He's basically saying, okay, he's giving him another option, another chance at it. 
He says, now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the, soar, the, the sound of the... I just think he was angry because he had to keep repeating all the instruments. <laughs> now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sack, the psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. He said, all will be forgiven. Maybe you shouldn't hear. All will be forgiven, and we'll move on. Then he goes in and says this, but... If ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And then he asks this question. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were like, yeah, we can answer that. And they do. I love the response here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, you understand what they're saying here. They're not saying, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, I think if you just listen out, you hear us, uh, I think you'll understand. Basically, what that phrase means is this. Nebuchadnezzar, you better listen and you listen close because we're not going to say this a second time. Verse 17, if it be so, you've asked that question, what God can save us? If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if God chooses not to save us from the burning fiery furnace, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. We will not worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We thought Nebuchadnezzar was mad before. This infuriated him. Verse 19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage, I mean, it, it, it looked like he had even changed, like he was demonic. form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace, the one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that, they, that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these, young, then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew these men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I like to envision things. It helps me. I think in pictures. I actually think in cartoon. But I think in, <laughs> I think in, in, in envisioning what's going on here actually does, does help me a little bit. And I, I can just see Nebuchadnezzar up there in all of his pride, throwing the, having them thrown in the, in the burning fiery furnace and then be like, okay, that's done. And then he takes one last glance over at this fiery furnace. And he goes, how many people did we throw in there? And the men were like, well, three, King, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's four men in there. And that fourth one looks like the Son of God. I do not think we are spiritualizing this by any stretch. If God allows us to go through a trial, which, which we will, he is right there with us when we obey. We might not understand. We don't have to understand. It's not on us to understand. It's on us to trust. <laughs> I would love to have had a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar at that point because he knew he was in trouble. He pulled him out. Of course, we know this story. Only God. God continuing to prove himself strong. And these are just the areas we know of. 
you know, not eating the meat and God giving them special strength. Answering the, the dream to Daniel at night, God proving himself strong. These, young, these three young men, exactly how old they are at the time, but these three young men facing the fiery furnace, choosing to trust God as opposed to uh, obeying man and God proving himself strong. One other instance, one you know, and then we'll talk about the focal point real quick. Daniel chapter 6. This is a little bit farther down the, down the road. A lot has happened in between then and now. A different king is actually on the scene right now. We're not sure exactly where Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are exactly uh, for sure. But Daniel is still in a position of authority, even though another king from another land has overtaken the land. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three presidents, of whom Daniel was first. That the princes might give accounts unto them, and that the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So obviously Darius saw something within Daniel. And, uh, and I want to I submit that it was godliness. Darius probably didn't even realize this, but it was godliness. It was, it, it was faithfulness. Um, and we, see, we do see that here. So Daniel was set up. Well, these other presidents and princes didn't like this a whole lot. So they're like, okay, we're going to have to have him taken down a couple notches. So they said, okay, let's, let's go, let's follow him around. And uh, when he does something against Darius, we'll run back and tell Darius, because we all do it, right? We're going to run back and tell Darius, and Darius will have to take him down a few notches. So that's what they did. They followed him around. Look at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. It says, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. They followed him around everywhere to find something that he had done against Darius. And they found two things. He was faultless and he was faithful. That should have been a sign to these men, but uh, in their pride, they didn't care. They just wanted Daniel taken down. So they got together. They're like, hey, did you find anything? Like, no, I didn't find anything. Neither did I. It was like, all right, we're going to have to ratchet this up. We know that Daniel is faithful to his God. So we're going to have to pit Darius against Daniel's God. We know which one Daniel's going to choose. So verse six, uh, verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. That's a very important phrase right there. Because right there is what we, what we see is the law of Daniel's, of, of, Daniel, of Daniel's God, the law of Daniel's God governing the life of Daniel. He filtered everything through the law of his God. That's what, if he had an issue, he ran back. It wasn't the world that was formulating him. It was the word of God. And he went to the word of God to find out everything. And he was faithful. Yes, he was faithful to Darius. But he was more faithful to his God. Because the law of his God was governing him. Verse 6, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. That's a stupid rule, by the way. <laughs> Nobody can ask anything of anybody for 30 days. You know, I know that's stupid because I have four kids. 
I can't even imagine if my son comes out, hey, can I use the restroom? He's like, I can't answer that question. You're going to have to go talk to the king. That's just a dumb rule. But anyway, side thought. Um, verse 8, now a king established the decree and signed the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Darius loved it. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Daniel, I'm sure he is standing there watching this whole scenario going on. He's no dummy. He's seeing what's going on. Nobody can ask anything of anybody for 30 days except for the king. And Daniel's like, well, this is where I, I go astray. But he didn't go astray from his God. You see, Daniel knew that the writing was signed as a law. And it wasn't just that he knew the writing was signed. He knew the punishment. If he broke that law, he was probably going to die. He's going to be cast into a den of lions. These lions are about 8 to 10 feet long. They're about 350 to 400 pounds apiece. They ate about 15 pounds of meat a day, and that's when they weren't hungry. And these lions were kept starved. I don't know if Daniel had ever gone by that den before and looked down and be like, I'd hate to go down there. He knew the penalty, but he still knelt. Look at verse 10. I love this verse. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? He went into his house just like he'd always done. And his windows being opened in his chambers towards Jerusalem. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, just like he had always done. In the midst of facing death, He was probably going to die. But he still obeyed God. How does somebody do this? How does this happen? Stabilization. The reason, we looked at just very briefly all of these different situations with Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, and Daniel. Some very difficult decisions. Some not as difficult as others. Some they were just saying no to some food to obey God. Others, if they disobeyed man, they were probably going to die. How can somebody do this? Well, it takes trust. Now, you have probably been told that before. Many of you have experienced very difficult things and you will experience difficult things. We will go through trials and difficulties in this broken world. There are trials all over the place. Job tells us as as sparks fly upward, man is born for adversity. Difficulties will be there. You have gone through difficulties you will experience difficulties and you've probably gotten this counsel before. You just need to trust God. That's good counsel. That's not enough counsel. Because some of you are sitting here and you know what, I've been told that before. But what does that mean? We just, you just need to trust God. That's accurate. But that's not enough counsel. We need to help people. We need to help our own hearts understand what it takes to trust God. And this is the focal point. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. 
very end of that verse, it's kind of seemingly thrown in as a, as a, as a byproduct of the, of, of, the, of the book, but I think this is the focal point. It says this, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That word exploits means great things for God. I think you can chalk up going to a lion's den and obeying God in the face of death as great things for God. I think we can agree on that, right? I think we can, we can look at going to a fiery furnace because you obeyed God as great things for God, right? I think we can look at even saying no to some food to obey God as great things for God. I think we can look at 36 years of faithful service as great things for God. How do we do great things for God? This verse is very clear. You have to know God. The only way, we'll connect this here, the only way these guys, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Daniel, could do what they did was if they trusted. But the truth is, and this is the point, you only trust someone you know. Back when my kids were younger and I needed a babysitter, I wasn't going to go to somebody on the streets in Brevard, North Carolina and say, hey, would you watch my kids? My wife and I want to go on a date. They might have been fine people, but I wasn't going to trust them with my kids. Why? Because I don't know them. One illustration, we connect the focal point and we'll be done. Many of you, how many of you have been to the wilds? Okay, many of you. How many of you at the wilds have done our zip line? All right, okay. I would imagine, whether you agree with me, this, this is the truth, okay? That's a very unnerving thing to do. Some of you are like, ah, it wasn't easy. No, it is unnerving. You know why? Because if you fall, you will die. <laughs> I don't even care if you're wearing a helmet. You're, you fall, you die, okay? That's why it's unnerving. Now, you're not going to fall. Now, let me use it as an illustration. Years ago, we were being trained to, to run the zip line, um, they took us out there for two days. We were out there, and uh, they were training us. And uh, we went out there, and we hired a professional to come in. And basically, the guys out there and some of our guys who were in charge of it basically went out there. They had the uh, harnesses laying out on the on the uh, on the decks there, and we had never done this before. We walked out there, and they and they said they said, "All right, um, uh, put your harness on." And I'm like, "You put my harness on." I've never done this before. You put my harness on. I don't know what I'm doing. So put your harness on. I want to put my harness on. You put your harness on. And I'm putting my harness on. And then we go up and we put our, we're up on the deck. And uh, he says, okay, hook yourself on the cable. I'm like, you hook me on the cable. I've never done this before. Hook yourself on the cable. I don't want to hook myself on the cable. So I hooked myself on the cable. And I promise you, for probably 10 or 15 minutes, I was going like this. Okay. I had never done that before. I didn't know anything about it. But now when we go out there and we're running the zip, we've had it a number of years. Now we're going out there, we're throwing our harnesses on, we're having conversations the whole time. <laughs> That's for us, not for the campers. And we're going up and we're hooking ourselves on the cable and we're, we're, we're kind of joking around and having conversations the whole time. We're zinging across. What changed? The zip didn't change. You know what changed? My experience of the zip. My understanding of the zip. I have done the zip so many times that I know it's going to hold me. 
I'm not fearful of the zip. The only reason that I would ever be fearful of the zip is if something changed and I knew it. A couple years ago, they had adjusted some of the cables. I knew that. So I was going back out there. I was going, yeah. Again, the only reason I would fear the zip is if something changed. The truth is, God is the same yesterday, today, and for all eternity. He does not change. He will never change. And the exact same God that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah learned to trust is the same God that we have. And we need to learn to trust him, but the only way we will learn to trust him is to know him. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You will face many different things in your life. It will happen. And you can make it if you trust God. And you can only trust God if you know him. And we will never know our God if we're not studying him in his word. He has given us his word that tells us everything we need for life and for godliness. We need nothing else. We have the word of God and we have a built-in teacher. How cool is that? We have the Holy Spirit. How, how, how cool would it be if you were taking a test at a school it's like your biggest exam ever. And you're like, oh, I'm really nervous about this test. And the teacher comes up and sits right beside you and says, hey, I've got the book. Matter of fact, during this test, I'm going to open up. I'm going to show you where the answers are. Do you think we'd use it? That's exactly what we have to live this life. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I'm going to connect it to what we see here. 36 years in youth work not just in ministry, in youth work. Seventh and eighth grade boys, okay? And if you have some seventh and eighth grade boys out here, they're like, guilty as charged, okay? That's a long time. The only way that happens is because somebody knows their God. When we can learn to love and trust and know our God, we can handle anything in life. And there's no question. I'm praying, I'll turn it back over to Pastor. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us even examples to follow in your word and even ones you give us in life. We thank you so much for that. Father, I pray that you would help us and teach us and instruct us what it means to trust you. Lord, we know and we only trust you when we learn to know you. Father, I pray that you'd help us, give us grace to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.